This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, this is really important, so please listen up. You want to save a life? You need to help one of the 14,000 patients who need a bone marrow transplant and cannot get it from a family member. I know that sounds really random, but this is important stuff. 70% of those in need will never, ever get a bone marrow transplant, but you can be the one to change that. Register today to become a lifesaver because the chance of saving a life is one of the most exciting and selfless things that you can personally do. Trust me, I know. In 2014, I want to say, I became a donor and it changed my life. Please do this right now. Pull out your phone, text AMAZING to 50555 or go to dkms.org backslash 100 words with the number for a free swap kit. Swap kit, super simple. They send it to you. You become a part of the registry and you could potentially save a life. So please, if I can do it, you can do it. So here, on with the show. Hey, hello. How are you? I'm Ray Harkins, and I'm the host of this podcast called 100 Words or Less, in which we talk to people who are involved with independent music in some way, shape, or form, whether it's playing in a band, working at a record label, being a publicist, or just simply influenced by this amazing DIY independent music scene that we all hold so dear. That's good, right? Yeah? Okay, cool. We're done here. (laughs) Just kidding. But I'm trying to make that a little more... um, concise for people who are uh, jumping in to random shows because i understand that that's what happens because there are people who only listen to the shows in which they care about this particular interview subject but i encourage you just follow follow the show you know so follow the through lines because there there might be a person who you're like oh i've never heard of this band or i don't care about them you'd be surprised how much you do care about because uh i've noticed this on on other podcasts where it's like i tend to maybe cherry pick some of the the guests uh, and then I find myself becoming even more endeared to the idea of getting to know people on a deeper level. And uh, that's exactly what this forum is. So anyways, I'm just just encouraging, you know, a gentle nudge towards listening to uh, every single one of these episodes. Because <laughs> I get feedback from people saying that that's what they do. Like they all of a sudden discover this show and start stuffing the entire back catalog in their head. And that's incredible. Like, it's really uh, awesome to hear that because that means you can jump in and listen to a show from two years ago, and it's still just as relevant. Like, I'm going to point something out because this is, uh, I wouldn't say selfish or maybe slightly egotistical, but, um, you know, a friend of mine does a a very good show called Lead Singer Syndrome. Shane told a uh, previous guest of the show, he had Dennis Lixon from Refused on the show. And it was funny listening to that interview for about, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. I I was just like, you know what? I want to listen to the interview that I did with him, you know, two years ago or something like that. And so I did. And I totally forgot so many awesome things that he had shared. And this isn't a plug for that previous episode or frankly, a plug for Shane's episode. It was just one of those things that it reminded me how uh, amazing of a person Dennis was. And uh, yeah, just the the connection that we were able to have on the podcast. And then obviously I could share with you. So anyways, that's a lot of that, right? But that's not why you came here. You came here to listen to a show with a specific guest. And that guest is Corey Brandon from Norma Jean. He is the lead vocalist and uh, songwriter and um yeah he's just uh he's he's been in the band for quite some time it's funny because sometimes i think of him as the <laughs> the new lead singer it's like no he's been on every single record except two and tech well maybe you could argue three if you wanted to count the very first uh ludicrous record which <laughs> was norma jean before they are norma jean but i digress 
Corey has sung for the band for quite some time. And um, I, Norma Jean is always a band that I support and I really enjoy what they do because um, they continue to push the envelope each record. It's like it's one of those things that's really difficult for bands to, uh, you know, go into their fourth or fifth record and still kind of, you know, find challenging places to take their music. Because, you know, frankly, a lot of people, when they discover a band on their first record or two, they just want that band to sound like that forever. They want them to be frozen in amber and be like, this is this is what I want this band to be. And Norma Jean, fortunately, just continues to uh, push that ball further and further down the court where people are still following what they're doing um, and can find sonic similarities. But, you know, if you listen to this uh, this new record, it's coming out on Solid State, um, I don't know, in a week or so, I think. I'm, I'm horrible. I should probably uh, know that information right off the top of my head, but I don't. So... Um, yeah, it just, I'm always, uh, Norma Jean is a band that really, really impresses me. And uh, Corey was very forthcoming in all of the uh, stuff that he's gone through in regards to his pursuit of a life around music. And so that's that. One last personal note is that I sold my house. Holy shit. That's a crazy thing, right? So uh, I'll be uh, living with my parents for a little bit as my new house gets uh, remodeled and all that stuff. And man, adult life, right? It still feels like I'm 15 years old because, uh, <laughs> There's so many things where I'm like, I don't think I'm necessarily equipped for this, but uh, I'll figure it out. So anyways, here is Corey, and uh, I will talk to you after the episode is So I start these things off usually with my kind of first entry point to kind of, you know, you, your music and everything. Um, I'm going to take you back to a very, very random place and kind of uh, put some connective tissue between you and I. Um, So the handshake murders. So here we are, whatever, 2002, 2003, maybe a little bit later. Uh, So I worked at Century Media Records for a long time where I was uh, signing bands and doing all that. And I was talking to you guys. um, And I totally can't remember the name of the person who I was communicating with in your band. Um, and i'm totally oh man it's gonna bother me but anyways it was it was one of those things where i was excited and trying to you know help you guys out and bring you on and um but you know i just i realized that uh the other people that were working at the label alongside of me didn't necessarily understand what you guys had going on so i was like this is gonna be a tough slog if i bring this band on um the you know handshake murders was a was a a short run for me, uh, I think around 2002, but it wouldn't have been me. Um, I wrote some songs with the guys, and then um, I, well, oddly enough, I got kicked out of that band. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I think it might have been a little bit later because I didn't, I don't think you were in it at the time. Um, uh, but so, uh, so it, it, it sounds like a. <laughs> A rough departure there, or was that? Uh, was well, that- so that's, a, that's the kind of thing that uh, that's kind of weird about me is that unless I started the band, I got kicked out of it. I, I pushed really, really hard, and um, and I was that's what, basically what I was doing with those. I mean, I wanted to go to practice and write and write and write and write, and um, I, I kind of I was going to practice, and it was just kind of like. We weren't really going as fast as I wanted, so I just stopped going until they were ready to to you know go. So they saw that as a 
Right. Kind of like, oh, he's not coming to practice anymore, kind of thing. I'm like, oh, I know the song is like, I'm ready to write new ones. So, right. Yeah, it was just not a, not a not a heavy departure at all because Jeff ended up in Norma Jean. He's he's our guitar player now, and he was one of the main songwriters for Handshake Murder. So, right. Still, still all good friends, and everything's cool. But yeah, like that's kind of my story with a lot of bands, actually. <laughs> You you uh you make yourself scarce. You're like I'm not feeling this. I'm just not going to go to the uh, what I define as <laughs> not fun part. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the kind of thing, I, I want to work hard and go for it. Like I don't I don't want to just be in the band for kind of a hobby kind of thing. So, um, you know, if, if everyone's not on that same page, then um, you know, I'm out of there. I imagine too that uh, obviously because of that, because people come to bands like even if it's your first band or obviously you know a band that you're trying to take seriously, um, it's obviously hard to get everybody on the same page. So I imagine from your perspective, it was always like, "Hey guys, why aren't you taking this as seriously as I am?" Like, did you did you feel like you were having those internal conversations? Um, yeah, kind of. It's like, hey, like you know, if you go if you're going to go to practice and be away from home or or like miss work for a show um and these days you know now it's it's kind of like oh i'm gonna be away from home for like six weeks you know if i'm gonna do all that and put the effort into it then let's work let's do this and uh i mean i'm not trying to like talk bad about the ancient murders at all like their process just was not what i wanted to to really shoot for but um if that's that's a with a lot of bands you know they they people want to be in a band they want to play music and they say they want to do it for a living but then they don't really want to do all of the things that come with it which is a lot of work and you know you can write really badass songs um but you can't run around in your front yard hoping to get struck by lightning you know hoping someone's going to pick you up and you're just going to explode that just doesn't happen you got to hit the road you got to put out music and you gotta show that you're a hard worker you know that's that's how you do it and if that's not what you're gonna do then it's just not gonna work right. for anyone yeah i don't care how good your band is no it's a very it's a very good point and i i mean i, I like this this i guess thread of discussion just because i do think that um obviously people look back at their own time with whatever you know musical projects they're they're doing at whatever age um they always look at that um you know through rose-colored glasses where they're just like oh man like it was so cool when i did that thing back then but then usually like you said people don't have that sort of you know drive and ambition partially just because you know it, it seems ridiculous to make a living off of heavy aggressive music you know especially when you're starting in the mid 90s where you know the only templates of success are like oh yeah you got strife earth crisis and sick of it all and then the rest of it's like oh maybe hate breed yeah they they, they clicked but then the rest of it's like i don't I, how do you make a living off this this doesn't make any sense yeah yeah for sure and, and to be fair too like after i left um you know slowly those guys got some other guys and stuff and they started hitting the road and they started working hard and stuff but you know when i joined it was like there was still not even that first record was out yet so it was like, let's do it. Let's get that first record out. Let's 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 roll hard. Um, so yeah, it, it is. It's it's a lot of work. And if you want to make it work, and you do, you know, want to make money off of it, you're not going to do that immediately. It's going to take a while, and you're going to have to be poor for a while, and you're going to have to make sacrifices for a while, and you got to be prepared for all those things. Right. 
I, I always viewed it, or, or the way that I've described it to other people, because um, I, I, I played in bands for years and, and, and you know, was kind of the business guy of the band. The way I always phrased it was like, you build your life around the context of this band. So it's like, you know, yeah, of course you're going to have like, you know, a job when you come home or whatever, but that job is directly tied to the fact that they would allow you to leave for months at a time on tour, you know, as opposed to other people where, you know, they obviously feel like, "Oh, I can't leave my job because that's like a career thing," you know, whereas like, yeah, like you said, the sacrifice that is made is because of, well, maybe this job isn't like the coolest, but it'll it, it'll do. Working at a bagel shop will do because they'll allow me to leave for 3 months. Oh, yeah, totally. I've seen that happen so much. I've been in those bands before, too, where, you know, you get in, it's like, let's go, let's do this. And and everyone really does want to do it. And it, their intentions are there. But, you know, intentions aren't uh, actions. You know, you, that's not, not how it works. Like, you got to, you eventually, you're going to have to say no to that job, no to that paycheck to, to get on the road and, and do it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a sacrifice for sure. I mean, starting any business, I would say requires that eventually you got to dive in, you got to go for it. Um, and, and take the risk. Yep. For sure. Had you always been kind of, you know, wired like that in regards to, because it definitely takes a certain person to be able to, um, I guess, kind of not even sort of dedicate their life to art, you know, in the the higher sense of the term, but just kind of like be driven, you know, like, were you always kind of that hustler as you were uh, growing up or did that kind of come, you know, as you started to become endeared with music? Um, I I was, I want to say yes and no, um, because the thing is that a lot of people don't know about me is that I actually had children really young. I was in high school still. Um, I was 17 years old and my girlfriend got pregnant. So, you know, I was, I was that kid like going to get my science book from my locker and passing my pregnant girlfriend in the hallway and, you know, Oh, going to get, you want to see what a math cool, you know, and she's full on pregnant. So I had kids really young and, um, you know, at right out of high school, I was, you know, you know, straight into the workforce, straight into adulthood. Um, and, you know, I did that for a while, I worked at restaurants and, and all kinds of things. All this while, I'm still trying to do a band. And then, you know, an opportunity came to go on the road. And there it was, you know, it's like, here's the crossroads. What do I do? And um, I kind of thought of it as like, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to have to sacrifice time away from my child. Um, I'm going to have to be poor. My parents are probably going to think this is a bad idea. You know, like the odds are against you. And especially if you're a single parent like I was. And I was kind of like, well, okay, I'm going to do it because, yes, I'm going to miss all those things. And, you know, I'm I'm going to miss being around my kid. But I, in a sense, I'm going to show them that you by example that you can you can try things in the world and and uh you know try to live your dreams and and still you know have a normal family right and and that's what i did you know um, i ended up having another kid uh, a few years later and then i was a single parent with two kids so right i wasn't i was i wasn't really doing that part of my life correctly um, necessarily, but it, it really evened out and turned out really cool. And, um, 
you know, and, and they're fine. And no, there's no damage there. And I think people are, I think the thing is, is people are scared. People are afraid to, to dive in and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong either with having a regular job and, and being a family man and being home and stuff. That's total. That's not bad either. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that's what I wanted to do with my life. So, you know, I, I dove in head first and, and, and then once you're there, it's like kind of panic mode. You're like, Oh crap. Right. I, better make this work now <laughs> right what so you fight like, things you go and stuff and, and you figure it out right right well i mean i, I like I, obviously i really like that that part of your uh story and the decisions that you made just because i do think um you know when you're starting bands and you're you know whatever 15 16 17 years old um there's that uh, you know idea that you obviously have some years to you know kind of figure it out and uh you know be able to like obviously hopefully like get better at being a band and all that sort of stuff um but you obviously like you said i I definitely think the driver was the fact that like yo i can't i'm not just i'm not just sitting on the pot here man like i got i have i have mouths to feed i have like adult life things that are happening to me as opposed to you know most people who just kind of like oh yeah whatever dude we'll play a show here or there yeah oh totally yeah it's if anything, um, you know, I tell people too that, that are in bands already and they're thinking about having kids or or maybe they are and they're afraid what's going to happen. I always tell them like, hey, it's going to be okay. Like, it takes some time off if you need to. That's fine. But it's going to be fine and they're going to be fine just like you're fine. You know, like everybody went through some weird stuff when they were kids and whatever. Like, and everyone, you know, you turn out okay. You're going to be okay if you take care of yourself. Um but yeah, like I always tell people, like just just go ahead and do it because at the end of the day, you, you what you want to do matters too. Yeah, for sure, and I mean, especially if you're going to, um, you know, march on through life and like look at the the decisions that you've made and uh, be like, oh, I I regret that decision because I wasn't you know able to do A, B, or C, you know, whatever that may be. Obviously, it doesn't have to be playing in a band, but like, oh, I didn't finish college because of you know. Oh, I had to, you know, go in the workforce because I had a kid or whatever. Like all those things that obviously people put up in in front of them as far as being a uh, quote unquote reason, but sometimes people would define them as excuses. So, but you just, yeah, you didn't settle for that, which is obviously admirable from that perspective. Well, the, the cool thing about the this country that we live in too is that college is going to be there too when you're older, and it's not weird to go to college when you're in your 30s or something or late 20s even. You know, if it doesn't work out, it's it's okay to like go okay fine you know that didn't work out what's the next thing and and you can go to college anytime you want my mom did it and she's a nurse and you know she's doing good so it's like uh it's cool we live in a great place where you can kind of shift around and try different things and, and and stuff it's really cool yeah for sure and you were uh you were born and raised in the south correct Absolutely. Of course. If you if you weren't, you wouldn't be uh, waving your southern <laughs> flag so high. Uh, where in particular? Um, mostly Arkansas. Okay. I was born in Oklahoma City. Um, uh, my family moved around a lot, so uh, we lived all around in that area. We lived in North Carolina for a little bit, and uh, eventually in, landed in Arkansas and stayed um, where I've been my whole life. Got it. Um, and obviously most people wouldn't look at Arkansas and say it is a cultural hub of happenings. Um, so how, how did you even kind of get in, you know, involved in sort of independent music in general? Cause you know, usually obviously people that live in, uh, you know, the suburbs or obviously major cities, um, you know, maybe have some friends to bounce stuff off of, but, um, I presume a lot of 
what you were getting into was kind of just like um, you had to maybe search harder for it or I don't know. What was your experience with that? Yeah. Um, I think Arkansas is kind of a dark horse state in that, in that regard. Um, it's kind of uh, hidden in plain sight. It's, it's, we're the natural state. It's beautiful here. Um, that's one of the reasons I love living here is, is that it's just beautiful. We don't, we don't throw concrete on anything. We don't cut down trees for anything. And, and it's, it's just beautiful. Um, I can't, I don't even know how to explain it. I, I always just say, Hey, just come visit. I'll tell you where to go. And I promise you'll, you'll think it's amazing. But, um, the music scene, um, actually when we, when we did get here around when I was 11 years old, you know, going into 12, getting into my teenage years, um, we started hearing about that there were shows going on. Um, so the music scene actually in Fort Smith, thanks to some really cool people that put on shows um, where I come from, were bringing amazing music to town. I, there were shows every weekend, and it didn't matter who it was. I didn't even know need to see the flyer. I just needed to know where it was, and I was going. Um, and I saw at the drive-in play in an abandoned house on this old street. Um, I saw... Uh, Ink and Dagger back in the days. I've seen His Hero Is Gone. I've seen, um, I mean, the list goes on and on. DRI played here. Um, we, we brought every punk band in you can think of from like the early 90s to mid 90s, um, even into the late 90s. So the music scene here was actually incredible. Um, so it wasn't hard to find musicians. It was actually kind of, there's there were so many people to pick from and so I met tons of people, made lots of friends, and I ended up being in like four bands. It, like it, by the time it was like ninety-seven or so. That's cool. I really like that experience, just because I do feel that um, you know a lot of places, especially when when you know you first start to get out there and tour, you're not going to have really really amazing shows in major markets. You know, you're going to play New York City and no one's going to care. You're going to play Philly, no one's going to care. But it's the suburbs or like the sort of off the beaten path places where it's like kids don't have anything to do, so they're you know everybody's going to show up to this live music thing on Friday night at the, you know, local VFW hall because there's nothing else to do there. So you're going to have, you're going to see this sort of, you know, scene be built, um, you know, very organically. And I, I presume that's obviously how it happened with oh, you guys. Killed it. That's it. That's exactly what, where I come from lives a town called Fort Smith. And it was all, it was pretty much, this is the punk scene. You go about an hour North and Fayetteville. And that's where kind of like all the indie rock bands. And there's kind of like some psychedelics, you know, rock, you know, kind of stuff that happens there, like folk and stuff. And then Little Rock is really where, like, metal and hip-hop were. Um, and that's kind of what um, Arkansas is broken up into. So where I come from is, like, where all the punk and, and the hardcore and, and, and some metal was. And, uh, yeah, that's exactly what it was, man. And I see, I see that now still to this day in Norma Jean. Like, we can book C-Markets and you know, middle of nowhere, Mississippi or something or Kentucky or whatever. And the show sells out. Everybody comes. Some, uh, a lot of those people just don't even know who we are. Probably, probably even never even heard a record or a song or anything. Maybe they've heard the name, but they came. And that was, that's a cool thing. I, I think that's really awesome. And, uh, that's kind of what my town was like living in here. Like everybody went, it didn't matter who it was. It was like, support your local scene. Oh, no problem. 
since everyone's coming. Right. <laughs> totally. It's like, because there's nothing else to do. It's either, you know, hang out at the local quick stop or like, how about you come with three of your friends and obviously watch, you know, people be fools of themselves. And it's like, oh yeah, there's yeah. an obvious choice there. Totally. And, 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 and bands came through. They, they knew that if they came to Fort Smith, they were going to have a good show and it was going to be a good time. And, and lots of people are going to be there. So, yeah. um, like again, I saw at the drive-in, I saw Melt Banana, I saw so many, so many good bands come through, um, this little town. And it's cool too, because I, I like that experience of, uh, obviously you're naming a bunch of bands that have no real sonic similarities to what they're doing, but yeah. obviously, <laughs> obviously it didn't, it didn't matter because you were just excited because there was a, you know, a band coming to town. And so you would, your your perspective wasn't colored by anything else besides the fact that you wanted to watch this band play. So you would have your you know face melted off by you know watching this band, and then you would watch you know some other show of a completely different sounding band and be like, oh, I like that too, as opposed to you know hearing it from your friend being like, oh yeah, that band sucks because they like don't have you know metal zone like on their distortion or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? But yeah, so that's, that's really that cool that you had that experience. Suck having metal zone. Seriously, that band sucked real bad for not having metal zone. Right. <laughs> totally. The the best sounding distortion of all time. <laughs> hey man, get two of them, put them together. You're, you're oh, rolling. I know, I, I'm actually way really inspired by local music. Um, it, it, the local, my local scene is at least fifty, if not more, percent of my influence on music. And, and there were so many, so much different kinds of music that. I didn't really have a loyalty to one. So I think that's where kind of Norma Jean's eclecticness comes from um, is, you know, me being a main songwriter. I, I don't have any loyalties to any genre whatsoever. I, I, I really honestly don't care about hardcore, metalcore, punk rock or metal or anything. Uh, I like a lot of different kinds of music. It happens to be mostly heavy. So, but, but most of my influences come from my own hometown, the, very pretty small community right that's really that's very very cool um so you mentioned your parents moved around a lot did you um what did they do for a living or was that just uh like was you moving precipitated by their careers or what were they doing um yeah there were there was career moves um um my also uh, my parents divorced too when i was young so we moved again and then um my stepdad was actually killed in a car accident when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he was hit by a drunk driver, actually, on the way to uh, his partner's funeral. He was a police officer. Oh. And it was a really sad time for us. And, you know, I was, I was really young, so I kind of don't remember a whole lot right. from around that time. But, um, you know, eventually my mom found love again, remarried, and... And we moved to North Carolina because he's a teacher and, and he, he had a teaching job there. So it was kind of a, a you know a lot of different crazy things happening in, in my childhood where it caused us to move around, which is it, you know kind of a interesting thing because I, I never aspired to be a traveler ever. Um, but be you know moving around a little bit when I was young kind of prepared me kind of a little bit for what that's like and. And that is something with being in a band comes with the territory. So you kind of, you know, even though I don't, I'm not a really was never really big on traveling. It's something I've grown to embrace. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You were, yeah, you were a little more used to it younger. So you could obviously adapt in different scenarios. Um, yeah. And so, sure. so then obviously as you, um, you know, I mean, 
no matter what you're going through as a kid, um, obviously, you know, either divorce, obviously the death of a stepfather, um, you know, did you find yourself, um, I guess, kind of well-adjusted? Like, you know, were you, did you find kind of a lot of inner, tur- inner turmoil that you were feeling? Or how did you kind of uh, cope with a lot of these things that obviously, you know, you don't want a child to go through? Music. That's, okay. <laughs> That's what it is. Music and writing music. I, I think the thing uh, with me is like, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you, you you know you think of like a lot of bands will say like I you know I've always wanted to be in a band or um you know travel the world. So I I actually didn't really necessarily want to do either one of those things so much. Um, I I wanted to write songs and and so I, I kind of think of myself more as a songwriter and all the band and traveling stuff is stuff that I had to figure out on the way. Because I, I really didn't know what I was doing or what a band did or what was they were supposed to do. Like I just liked music and, and liked to write music, and that's how I was able to. You know, my, my whole life is is in our lyrics and in our songs, and you know, emotionally and um, intentionally. So, music is really the best coping method for me, and it's it's, it's such good therapy, in my opinion. Sure. Um, and so what, what kind of kid did you find yourself being as a, you obviously started to uh, develop more of an identity in high school? Were you, um, you know, did you care about school? Did you, uh, you know, just focus obviously on music or were you a sports dude? Where did you kind of find yourself sitting? Um, I hated school so much. <laughs> I hated school. Those were not the good old days for me. Um, whenever I hear someone like, oh, yeah, the good old days, my man, football, high school, I don't know, whatever. Like, I'm like, dude you got to be kidding me that it, it couldn't end soon enough. I wanted to get out of there and, and go do something. Um, I definitely liked the, you know, the freaks and the weirdos and, and you know, the skater kids and, uh, the punk kids and metalheads, whatever. Um, me, I was kind of more, I was definitely a way my, for my introduction really into music for the very first time of like it wasn't something that was just on the radio and popular you know that you hear as a kid like that's the stuff that everybody listens to um, the very first thing that I discovered that I liked was actually um, the Beastie Boys Licensed to Ill nice. um, believe it or not so that was the first record that I ever got that I was like wow this is cool um, this is something I like outside of popular music and that that grew into, you know, you know, getting into metal and, and, and so on and so forth. Nice. Very cool. Um, and then obviously, you know, I mean, religion has been a, an important part of your life as well. When did that, um, cause I, I always find it really interesting because obviously there's these two, you know, disparate scenes where you have, especially when you get into aggressive music where it's like, you know, you have your secular bands and obviously you have your Christian hardcore bands. And like, I was, uh, I was raised Christian. And so, you know, I didn't have my parents like combing through my lyric books as I brought them home or whatever, but it was definitely always one of those things where, you know, once the advent of, uh, you know, tooth and nail existed where it's just like, Oh yeah, I can feel, you know, safe by a training for utopia or focal point record and strong arm knowing that i won't have this you know uh, quote unquote questionable content um but then i was like but i also like you know like i said earth crisis and strife and stuff like that so but you had to feel like you lived in you know two different worlds because of that um so how i i know i'm kind of front-loading the question but um how, you know how did how did uh, religion obviously make sense within the context of of the music that you were getting into 
Um, well, first I'll say that that um, I think it's so awesome that bands like Strong Arm and, and Focal Point and all the, and Overcome and you know and the whole Tooth and Nail movement really started because that was that was good for so many you know kids like you and and, and around the world. It, it was su- such a cool thing that that happened. Um, for me personally, I, I wasn't raised uh, Christian at all, um, or um, you know, I, within my personal family, um, and not so much into my extended family. I'm, I'm really the only a Christian, only Christian in my my whole family. So, and that was something that came very later later in life for me. Um, you know, when I was in my 20s, actually. Got it. So, um, you know, I was. I was growing up, you know, I had Cannibal Corpse, Slayer, um, Blasting in my room, um, Iron Maiden posters on the wall. I had, a, I had a Motley Crue shirt that had 21 pentagrams on it that I wore to school. <laughs> you know, I didn't get in trouble for any of that stuff. <laughs> and I never, you know, I never, I never had my records uh, questions, uh, questioned by my parents. They, they let me listen to whatever I wanted because they they knew that it was music and and they knew that I understood that um, and that, you know, eventually I'm going to make my own decision on stuff. So um, they were, they were, they were so cool about the music side of it. Um, you know, when I, when I started hearing bands you know, that, you know, that were singing about God, um, it, that, that was kind of a secondary thing to me because I thought of it like, well, you know, I, I listen to a lot of bands that sing about what they believe in these bands aren't any different. And I feel like it was this sect of music that was really pushed away and kind of sectioned off from, from heavy music and, and kind of segregated um, by the heavy music scene, which to me was actually very prejudiced of, of heavy music listeners to do that because um, I didn't see the difference between the two. Um, you know, every band sings about what they believe in for the most part. Right. Um, you know, there's, right. there's definitely some like um, bands that are into like, uh, themes or like uh, um, you know fictional thing, themes or like even like jokey themes so maybe they don't think about what they believe in but there's you know they believe in what they do so it's kind of s- still the same thing yeah um, no, I, I, I totally totally agree because I, I definitely I empathize with that because I always uh, I, I never had a problem listening to obviously both styles of music. It's like you know, there's a, a, an amazing metalcore band that just basically doesn't get talked about at all these days. It's a band called Torn Apart from Bo- you know Baltimore, Maryland. They were an unbelievable band, but like you know, had a huge atheist message. And it was one of those things. I was like, it doesn't matter to me. They're singing about what they believe in, and like I just always found it so funny that people and I know that you've experienced this where it's just like people that selectively will like either listen to your band or not listen to your band based off the fact that you're either hanging your hat on Christianity or off of it like it it, it, I found it so funny where it's like people would specifically not listen to a band because it's like oh well they're they're not Christian so therefore that you know that that worldview that they have is unimportant and it's like wait what no that's that's very narrow view and in the same way that people that obviously don't listen to, you know, whatever faith-based music or whatever, and just kind of you know swept under the rug and are just like, oh yeah, that's shitty, and it's just like you're missing out. Yeah, yeah. I think it comes back to that uh, that loyalty thing that I was talking about earlier. Like you, you, now, it's not you, you're not listening to the music anymore. You're you're having a loyalty to a genre in a sense, um, or a sect of 
of music. It's like weird. Like this is art. It's not meant to be interpreted like that. Um, something I always say, I probably said this a million times is that, you know, people ask for a Christian band. I'm like, look, I don't know what that means because I can't speak for every person in my band. They're, they're their own person. They, you, if you want to ask them personally, if they're a Christian off stage, go ask them and then, and listen to their answer. Um, for me, I, I say, yes, I am a Christian, but, and, and you know, and definitely lyrically I'll, I'll write about it here and there. And I, I take that, take from that perspective on a cornerstone kind of way, but I sing about my life and in, in real life things. Having said that, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a musician and, and music is a sound and sound can't have a belief. I can't, you know, if I clap my hands, you can't tell me if it's Christian or not satanic or not, or, you know, straight edge even. Um, at the end of the day, it's music. And, and to me, it's like, do you like it or not? Um, <laughs> that's, 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 the, it. Yeah, that's the most important question because yeah, it's like, because I, I, I do think it's like people, you know, turn to uh, turn a blind eye to things and they don't become exposed to, you know, what they may consider like the, the quote unquote enemy. You know, it's like obviously people could look at, you know, Cannibal Corpse and, you know, entrails ripped from a virgin's cunt and be like, oh, my God, I can't even believe that. <laughs> but then you, you, yeah. you but then you'd look at it and be like, oh, no, I, I see what they're doing. And then you have a better context for it as opposed to just like, oh, I can't even look that direction. And it's like, oh, well, <laughs> well, what, your, yeah, your choice, I, I, your choice. You step into some weird territory there because obviously, like that's so. You know, like uh, of course, some people are going to be like, "Okay, well, I can't." Like, right. if I heard that band and I didn't know the name of it, I might. Exactly. I might <laughs> totally. <do it. laughs> but uh, I have a. Uh, we have another uh, kind of funny thing in Norwegian and we talk about with with band names like that. Is like you know what? Like okay, I, I don't know if you've ever tried to like. Um, you know, go to a different country or whatever, and you have to fill out the visa or go across the border, and they ask oh, you all the yeah. questions. Totally, it's like it's like, man, those bands like Anal Cunt has to like <laughs> fill out paperwork, you know, and like put that name down, and like go to the border, and like, okay, what's uh, yeah, it's your band, it's called, oh my god, you know, like they see it, it's like, dude, you have to use that as a business name, like. Dude, you're probably you're incorporated as that yes. name. <laughs> totally. My, I, I still think to this day my favorite, and this is something I actually didn't realize until I was taking a passport photo and I was wearing uh, a terror shirt, like Terror of the Band, obviously. And then my mom, as she was taking my photo, she's like, "You may want to change that shirt." And I'm like, "Oh, you're right." So it's like now I look at Terror and I'm like, obviously they don't have any problems because they're traveling across the world. But like, there had to have been a point where it was like. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're not going to let this fucking bad terror come into our country. That's yeah. terrible. That, that word's a very scary word these days, for sure. <laughs> it does. It, hey, it, just heads up. Right. My dog is going to bark in about one minute. Nope. So that adds that. Ad, a car ad, came in, a car came into my driveway, and he's a, he's a full blooded German Shepherd. So he's going to attack in about a couple minutes. Too. No, no problem. <laughs> that adds texture to the conversation. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> kind of, uh, I wouldn't say fast forwarding because, um, you know, obviously because you've done, uh, you know, a, a lot of press, not only this cycle, but, you know, pre- previous cycles. Um, you know, I'm not going to belabor all the, uh, you know, starting of the band and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I felt that, you know, when you, uh, when you joined the band and Redeemer as a record, uh, I felt like was a real turning point for the band in general. Um, 
and you guys weren't actually just creating what I would like to call affectionately as a riff salad, because that's obviously what every band does when they first start, where it's just like, oh, riff on top of riff on top of riff. <laughs> um, I presume that obviously that record you feel uh, you know pretty proud of, obviously, but then um, did you feel like it was a turning point for you guys as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I joined the band in 2004, we pretty much jumped straight into writing Oh God, The Aftermath. And um, and, and it, just a brief history of, of why I was even in the band is I was in a band called Esso Karis before that. And um, when when the guys in, in Norma Jean were um, another band called Ludacris, we were friends. And we were fans of each other's bands and you know, they would stay at our house. We were just really good, close, close friends. So that's where it comes from. And then, um, you know, I joined um, as a friend, you know, kind of more or less part of this collective um, is the way I kind of think of Norma Jean. Um, and kind of going back a little bit to the whole not knowing what a band thing is, is um, I, I feel like Norma Jean is a collective more than a band where here's a set of faces that goes with this music, which is kind of a thing probably that was invented in the thirties by a record label to market some, you know, to market the Beatles or something. Um, but really at the end of the day, it's about the music and friends getting together to play it. So, um, we jumped straight into writing and, um, I, I definitely had a lot of heavy influence on the band uh, as far as writing riffs. Um, I think the, the main thing that, that I didn't know how to do was honestly, like if you listen to, to, Oh God, the aftermath, um, all the way through, it's, it's a, it's almost like a completely different band. Um, and then you get to redeemer and then it's like a completely different band again. So we, we that's kind of what we've, we kind of kept doing. Um, I think from record to record, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is actually going to lead into a point I was going to make a little bit later. But um, you know, it's it, obviously you guys are a rare band that continually, you know, in my opinion and in many other people's opinions, release good records, but obviously don't you know aren't just creating the it, it, obviously not a, a same the same exact record over and over. But you kind of create this stew of past influences to kind of push you forward in ways that obviously are interesting to yourselves and you know hopefully interesting to the people listening to you. Um, that uh, I know this isn't really a question, but like that's hard to do. Like there are, are very few bands I can point to that have this sort of trajectory that you guys do, um, where it's like each record sounds different. It's challenging, but not to the point where it's going to like bum so many people out there. They're going to be like, "Oh, dude, you know Norma Jean's like a you know radio rock band now or whatever." Um, yeah. But like I'm sure that is a very very kind of. Uh, deliberate and sort of maybe sometimes difficult conversations you guys are having as you're, you know, writing the new records as they're coming out. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. Um, I think <laughs> no, it's hard. We, we kind of think of it more as a, um, a learning experience rather than, okay, time for the next record, you know, and here's some riffs. Uh, we kind of think of it like there's, there's, you're never going to, um, you know, I think something I learned very early on the hard way is that you never get to a point in your life where you know everything. And I think, you know, as a teenager, early young adult, that's kind of the age where that kind of 
thought processes in your head like oh I know exactly what I'm going to do and you know I got things figured out but um, I feel like there's this kind of falling stage where you realize that you never really stopped the learning phase of life which is I, I relate that to music too because we're never above reproach where we can't learn something new about music or try something new and and even to the point of reinventing ourselves completely um and I like the idea too of uh, fans having a favorite record and that's the one they want to hear more than any other record I like that because um, to me that means you're still a Norma Jean fan so if you like the first record only that's to me you're still a Norma Jean fan you like one of our records so it's not a negative to me um, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to like every single thing we do It's it's not Maybe it just wasn't meant for you. It's fine, right? Um, but we want to try new things and try to try to get you know something different out of ourselves and, and make the music have more of an emotion to it that, that matches the lyrics and tell a story. Um, and you know, we're still learning how to do that. I think Polar Similar um, is a really really good um, version of of Norma Jean pulling that off more than any record that we've done before the just explaining that emotion telling that story and and writing a record front to back that that kind of almost has an adventure to it right and the you know on the on that same tip the the idea that um you know you guys also uh there, there's no trend chasing like clearly you can obviously hear certain bands and, and not you know throwing stones at bands that do that because you know that obviously that is a deci- that is a very sound business decision to look at the market and look at yeah. what, what's popular and in order to maybe potentially capitalize on that to you know maybe craft a record um, either intentionally or unintentionally toward that but you guys uh, you know have continually either been um, you know sort of ahead of whatever changes are, are occurring or you know a few years behind but that's like you're saying that's the music that you feel compelled to create um and i think that's also you know it's very indicative of why people obviously are drawn to norma Jean after all these years because of the um like you said the kind of you know whatever honesty authenticity whatever you want to call it uh because you're not just yeah trying to create like oh dude band a is popular right now let's uh, go ahead and write a record in a year hopefully that'll still be popular <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and um, I, I have to say too is like I'm not, I'm, I don't want to come off as like a music snob or anything because I'm not. Um, I like a lot. I like some of those bands that that you know do the really popular trendy thing, and then you know. But I've also seen those bands come and go. Um, so that's it's not really for me. But I, I don't. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make fun of any band for for the music or the art that they want to create. That's I'm not into that. Because, and then on the other side of that too, you have to think that there's bands like ACDC that it's ACDC. Like you know what they sound like, you know what they do, but they never sold out. Or you know what I mean? Like that's what they sound like on every record, and they're huge. So there's this weird spectrum of things that happen. So for us, it's like we, well, this is what we do. Um, of course we hope that a lot of people like it. And, you know, um, there's, I'm not going to lie and say that Norma Jean doesn't want to, you know, sell out 5,000 cap venues cause we do, but, um, right. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to write the music that, 
that that we love and, and um, you know, at the end of the day that speaks to us. So, um, yeah, there's so many different perspectives and, and different and uh, so many different things you can try. So, um, to us, it's, it's all about the, the try part of it and experimenting stage of, of music. It kinda, it's kind of never-ending. Sure. Um, something I find fascinating about you guys too, kind of speaking to the, the diversity of the band in regards to you know maybe the crowds that you can play in front of. You guys have done every single large festival tour that either has existed or currently does exist, from obviously the Warp Tour, Mayhem, Ozfest, all that sort of stuff. Um, I presume that none of those tours obviously feel, uh, I guess, real. You know, because obviously you're playing either in front of a lot of people or you're playing with you know, bands that you're just like, oh, I can't believe we're sharing the stage with behemoth or something like that. Um, so like, how, you yeah. know, I, I'm sure, you know, I'm not looking to pull a story or two out of you in regards to those experiences, but at the same time, I'm sure that there are some memories you have that are, are connected to those things of just like, what the hell are we doing here? This is such a bizarre scenario. Um, or did you, or, or did you just basically enjoy every single one of those for what they were? Man, uh, the festival tours, we, we, we really have done almost all of them. Um, we did Ozfest in 2006. Um, we did Warped Tour twice, 2007, 2008. We did uh, Mayhem Fest in 2010. So we, we've done a ton of those those festivals, and they're, so, they're all so awesome, for sure. Um, but I will tell a story to, uh, that, that, that relates to what you just said, and... Um, it was on Ozfest. We'd already done uh, Sounds of the Underground before this too, which was also insane. Uh, Lame of God was the headliner on that. Every time I die, Dillinger Escape Plan were on that tour as well. It was, it was an insane tour. Guar, Clutch, insane tour. So I was already kind of like, "Wow, where am I? This is insane." Um, but Ozfest was really when it when it kicked in for me because um, we were one of the top four build bands on our stage on the second there's only two stages so just being in that position where, where we were the first of the last four bands to to play the big stage like the top four like big name you know we were getting paid instead of paying to be on that tour kind of thing mm-hmm. um, it was just insane experience but when we would come when we would go to the stage to play um we would see bands coming off kind of complaining and stuff. And, and then, and then when we would come off stage, we'd be like, Oh my God, lose our minds. Like how, how crazy was that? And, you know, I'm not going to name any bands names or whatever, but like, you know, bands coming on after us even were like, I can't believe we're playing this slot. Like we should be big. We should be playing this slot, you know, and like finding ways to complain. I was like, man, that really, it made me kind of take a step back and, and, I kind of tell myself and and tell my future self like, Hey, don't ever be this guy. Don't ever be like that. Um, this is amazing what you're doing right now. You, you did it. You made it like you're on freaking. uh, I remember growing up seeing the bills for Ozfest and none of them came close to where we live. I was never able to attend. But I just remember thinking like, dang, it would be so insane. And then there I was on that festival you know, Ozzy's playing, uh, System of Down, System of a Down was on the tour with us, which was pretty cool. And like, uh, just some of the coolest bands. And, um, so I told myself like from here on out, like everything else is gravy. Like 
you did it. Um, and that was in 2006. Right. So it's, it's 10 years later now. Uh, Redeemer came out that year and, you know, I'm still doing it. So I can't oh, complain at all. Totally. Yeah, and, and I always remember that moment. And I remember standing on the ramp, on the stage, seeing a band come off stage and, you know, or us coming off stage and the band coming on, like, and like, so, so beat up. It's like, dude, you just played for like 3,000 people mm-hmm. covered in mud. And a lot of them probably didn't even know who your band was. So you, if you, if you had a good show, put on a good show, like, then you made some fans today. Right. So what are you complaining about, you big baby? Like, shut up. It's all, yeah. It's all about the attitude. <laughs> totally, totally. It's all about the attitude. It's like if you're approaching this, you know, in in that way, then like 98% of the time, you're probably going to be disappointed because you're always going to be looking for something that you need to be better, you know? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I will say, too, that those bands are gone, too. They're 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 done. And and I think that, that that'll kill a band internally, for sure, on the inside. Like, it's, it's a it's festering rot. Yeah. Not good. No, totally. Um, and then obviously kind of, kind of that same tip, the fact that, you know, you guys like the, your popularity has obviously waned and waxed over the years where it's like, you know, yeah, like you said, you, you know, at, at one point you're obviously, you know, you can tour across the country and play house of blues style venues, you know, whatever, a thousand to 1500 people showing up. And, um, you know, then there's other times where it's just like, Oh, we're playing, you know, like you said, a, a C market to 200 kids. And obviously your so, experience, you know, your experience, um, is, valid in in regards to you can still enjoy both of those experiences um but obviously you know once you kind of get that uh, proverbial ego check of just like oh yeah we gotta you know we have to think about this differently um you know how did you yourself kind of like push through maybe some of the you know the challenges that obviously bands have uh you know once they do hit that spot where it's like oh we're not as popular as we once were in this city or whatever um you know or or did you kind of just apply that attitude that you had in on Ozfest in 2000 2006 um how did you kind of push through that stuff um yeah uh, i think probably to be totally honest with you um the hardest tour in that regard of of being down kind of beat up feeling um on a very very long tour um, very far away from home, you know, out of the country. So you can, I can't use my phone. I can't talk to my wife. I can't, you know, see my kids and all that stuff was the tour that we just did. <laughs> um, coincidentally enough, like of all the tours I've done, that was probably the hardest one I've done. It, it's, it wasn't the longest even. Um, we did a world tour that was three months long with a tray in, in, I think 2006. So, um, that wasn't, the longest one but it was a hard one because I was really really far away from home it was 45 days long in a different country and different countries and um, it was you know we had some booking issues so we had too many days off and um, you know we were losing money and um, uh, and, and you know it just it beats you up and everyone's pretty pretty down and so every day like what I saw in my band and the dudes in my band, um, I know they're the right guys because every day we got together and we, we thought about like, what's cool about this? You know, what can we be thankful for today? And we always found something and it was just so cool and encouraging to see that because I'm, none of us really wanted to be there, but 
um, we didn't let it kill us. We didn't let it beat us down. We knew that we were going to get home eventually. We knew that we had we have a record coming out. We just had things to look forward to. And I think that the best advice I, I can give people for anything, not just being in a band on the road and how hard it is, like, um, and and not to say that it isn't because it is um, traveling and all that stuff, but uh, just just to be thankful, find something to be thankful and and grateful for, and it you will feel better that day immediately. Yeah. It won't take that long. Don't don't dive into the. It's really easy just to sink into the, you know, the sadness and depression of things. Like find something to be thankful for, and and and, and even just to yourself. Um, and I, I think that really works. That works for me anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's in the same way as obviously people feel overwhelmed with, um, you know, whatever their work or like a big project. Like I so distinctly remember a conversation I had with my uh, father where this is totally like the nerdiest shit possible. But I was like, oh, my gosh, I have I have such a problem with all of my records and putting them into an Excel grid so I can categorize everything, you know, like (laughs) clearly nothing I should be complaining about. But I was. And he was like, "Uh, how about you just do like a little a day? And it was like an epiphany. I was like, oh, my God, you're right. And so it's like, yeah, you're that's the same principle of what you're talking about where, you know, you're not losing the forest from the trees where you're just like, dude, I'm happy because, you know, whatever. I'm alive. We're probably going to play a decent show tonight. There will be people there that know who we are, like whatever. Like you said, just those little things that will kind of keep you push forward in order to, you know, not be, you know, buried by the mountain of sadness. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um you know, it, it, that's one of the things I, I always tell people, like about the things that they don't realize about uh, being a musician is that we, you know, if we play like an hour long set, let's say, and that's being generous because we don't always get an hour. Um, that means we have twenty three hours of nothing, um, and we're away from home, so it's not like we can just go home at the end of the day and like we're at, we're at work for you know, a month and a half, um, solid. So it's, it it can, it can get to you sometimes it can, it can beat the crap out of you for sure. Um, mentally and even physically. So, uh, you definitely have to find some, some way to, to, to to keep it going. Um, for me, I, I pray and, and I try to find something to be thankful for And that, that has always been really helpful to me. And of course I have an amazing wife who I can talk to sometimes and, she's very encouraging as well yeah for sure that's awesome um the last thing i want to hit on before i let you go was the um obviously like you said because you uh you know you're you are a family man you've had children in your life for uh you know quite some time in regards to your touring life um and obviously like you said the sacrifices of you know being gone and you know missing certain aspects of your child's life um like do you feel you've gotten better at it you know or is it like certain respects you're just able to like cope better with the absence or is it one of those things where it's like still every time it's just kind of this um you know sort of wrenching thing that you have to do i think um yeah i've definitely gotten better at it for sure but I think um, that in a weird way, it's kind of hard to explain, but almost in a way, like life gets better at it. Um, like if it things fall into place, and um, I don't know, like it's kind of hard to explain, but it you really it's 
it's kind of a balanced thing. I don't, I don't know. I really, it's super hard to explain, but it's not so much that it's all me, but right. Um, more or less that um, I'm, I've changed in, in so many ways that I kind of can't remember what I was before. Um, it's so, yeah. Um, but more or less, yeah. Like you, you figure things out, you know, you're sure. You're, for sure like you just figure it out what how you're gonna do things right right yeah i mean it, it makes sense obviously like the whatever the more you do something the more you not only get used to it but then develop uh strategies or or tricks in order for you to be like okay like i know that i cannot miss this phone call because i need to you know read read a book over you know the phone to my kid or whatever like those things you learn to keep in your back pocket where it's like this not only gives me life, but obviously shows that I'm present, <laughs> even though I can't be physically yeah. present in that thing. So that's cool. Yeah, for well, sure. And like I said, it's, it's pretty rare. Like um, that that last tour was really the hardest hardest one ever. Um, but most of the time, especially with Norma Jean too, we've we've got to a point where we can we can take a lot more time off. Um, we don't need to like stay on the road super hard anymore, which is. Uh, which is pretty cool, you know. Like we, we can kind of spread it out, and and uh, for the most part, you know, take only tours that that are really really meaningful for us. So we're we're lucky in that sense at this point in our career, being being done having having done this, you know, thirteen to fifteen years now. Right. Yeah. No, that's incredible. Yeah, that you don't have to spend three hundred days out of the year, you know, in a, in a yeah. van or whatever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Corey, thank you so much for hanging out with me on the uh, on the good old Skype. I really, uh, yeah, I enjoyed this conversation. I hope it uh, wasn't torture for you. <laughs> no, no, it was awesome. Man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So there we go. That was Corey, and uh, you know, I I did my research. Now here we go. This is a, a very official plug for their new record, which, by the way, is really, really, really good. It's called Polar Similar. It comes out on September 9th, 2016. For those of you that have listened, that are listening to this in 2019, the record came out a few years ago. <laughs> but anyways, it's a really good record. Go pre-order it. Norma Jean Noise. You can Google Norma Jean and find it anywhere. So um, do it because uh, the band is is really, really good. And they're continually making heavy music awesome. So please do that. And uh, thank you very much to all involved in setting this up. Thanks to uh, James over at Brixton agency yeah i think that's how they are uh, commonly referred to uh it's basically their publicist and uh thank you to Corey for uh helping me uh set this up and uh also shout out to their manager uh, tom williams previous guest of the show good friend and uh thanks for uh thanks for being a nice human being so there we go that is uh that is that and uh next week i will return of course as always because you know you get this once a week isn't this great <laughs> oh i sometimes i like to pat myself in the back right <laughs> Anyways, uh, next week is a long-requested, previously almost on the show guest, Patrick Kindlin from Self-Defense Family. This is probably one of my most requested guests, and I w- I'm, I'm going to say it's probably one of my most unique conversations I've had on the show because, uh, you know, usually I like to prepare some questions. Uh, this one, I think we got to one of them. <laughs> we just had this really, really heady discussion on uh, a lot of topics that, uh, you know, Pat was obviously very interested in talking about. And um, he's a talker, even more so than me. <laughs> so anyways, that's Patrick next week. And uh, yeah, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.